you, definitely be our podcast. My name's Sean, and joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boff from Mr. Boffman, man. How are we? Sean, I'm so good. I'm so happy to be doing this 2020 style again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we... um. This was supposed to be the first week sort of back into regularly scheduled programming. We were back at my place. We were not sending off Lukey with a group podcast. You were obviously back from India. And yet I've gotten sick. So now we are, we're back onto Zoom, which is, you know, maybe I'll have to edit out a few awkward breaks to try and figure out who's talking. But yeah, 2020 style, that's a that's a nice way to put it. The only the only thing different is that I'll have a stable Wi-Fi connection this time. Yeah, will you? Yeah, well, my 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 so. historical my historical form would 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 you know welcome doubt, but the Wi-Fi is better in uh in Melbourne than it is in Perth. Perth you know, Perth's such a big place, WS such a big place, the Wi-Fi has further to travel. So <laughs> um that and yeah, the the burgers are better at Hungry Jacks, you know, just a few little <laughs> tidbits of information. But before we get on to talking about let's say the biggest news of the past 12 months, I'd say. Um do you just want to sort of uh, do, you want, do you want to kick us off with a bit of housekeeping? Well, we do. Yeah, we do have a little bit of housekeeping to get to, um, and it's pretty big, big news. Which you're hearing it for the first time uh, outside of a select few private conversations. But deep two, Sean, you and I, we have ended our relationship with Basketball Forever. Uh, so we're no longer a part of the Basketball Forever podcast network, um, which is disappointing, I think, for all parties involved. But can I just say, what a great seven months it was. <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah, it was. It was. And, yeah, uh, all, all thanks to Basketball Forever for reaching out and obviously having those initial discussions with us and bringing us into their podcast network. But as you mentioned, Dante, we're just not going to be going forwards with that relationship. And as you, the listener, might have seen, whether this is on YouTube or your your favorite um, podcasting platform, there is no longer a banner at the bottom of our podcast tile. No banner. It's over. It's killer. It's killer. Uh, we might have to replace it with a placeholder that rhymes with Creco, uh, but maybe we'll talk, <laughs> we'll talk about that off there. Um, but yeah. We need to get the Deep 2 Partnerships Officer involved in that one. If I can save fifty cents off an ice cream, <laughs> but yeah, do you, you want to? You, you can. Up? You just you just you just got to ask. Um, but for you know for the for the listeners, I think I can speak for both of us, uh, saying that we're pretty disappointed that that our relationship with BF has ended the way that it has because we joined with kind of big big hopes and a big opportunity and lots of promise. Um, and unfortunately for us, none of that ever really was delivered on. And I think, you know, I certainly feel like it's an opportunity that um, has kind of slipped through the net as it were, because BF, as it turned out, weren't as ready to invest in our podcast as they had kind of sold us on, which was really disappointing. Um but obviously they've had some hiccups in the rollout of their podcast network and tackling a, uh, a big project for them, which I think maybe they, they realized, holy shit, this is a really big project. Um, and as a result, yeah, we're not able to kind of invest in, in us the way that we had hopes they were. Yeah, yeah, and and obviously, as as a listener of this podcast, I'll, I'll go with the positivity note here. Absolutely, nothing changes. Um, we are still doing everything that we want to do, and we've been doing this for 191 episodes now. 
but we're going to keep doing it for 191 plus um where we we entered the partnership with the with the idea being hey we love what we're doing and we like our content um and they said they also loved our content so where we wanted to keep things just as they were but the agreement from the very start was hey if this if this just doesn't work for whatever reason you guys still very much own the deep to NBA podcast. You guys can still do exactly what you want to do and we'll have it so that if we are in a position where it, it does lead to a breakup as we are in right now, um, we're just back to our own thing, back to doing what we were always doing and arguably what we were doing for the past seven months with basketball forever anyway. Um, so yeah, in terms of the listener, two things. First one is absolutely nothing changes from you. We're still a weekly podcast delivering the exact same content. Um, but secondly, if you know any uh, podcast networks out there that want a hard-hitting analytical uh, basketball podcast and associated website uh, and just uh, a bevy of beautiful contributors, beautiful in the writing and the aesthetic sense, um, yeah, you know where to find us. Same place as always. Well, just when you thought you'd have to wait until July for free agency, here it is. Come and get us. <laughs> well, like Nick Nurse, I'll, I'll use Nick Nurse's quote where he goes, uh, Nick Nurse plans to evaluate, quote, where he's at, unquote, at the end of the season. Um, so he might be having a bit of coaching free agency and a bit of podcasting free agency. Bloody hell, we really, we've really got it all in this league of ours, this bloody <laughs> league. Um, but speaking of hashtag this league on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, um, the as I mentioned before, the biggest news in in maybe twelve months for um just basketball in general is that we have a new collective bargaining agreement. A new CBA has been agreed to by um the uh, NBA Players Association and the Board of Governors. It is going to be a seven year contract, so there will be no, or well, hopefully, no business um stoppages for the next seven years, which was, you know, it's it seemed like it was a possibility, but also didn't seem like a, a, that great of a possibility because the NBA is just making so much money and no one's going to no one's gonna fucking steal the hen that's just laying golden eggs for every single person involved in this organization. Um, but Dante and I are going to run through the, the things that really stood out to us at the CBA, in the new CBA. Obviously, we're more focused on the basketball side of things. We're much more interested in how this is going to impact free agency and player movement and actually play on the court, which is something maybe you wouldn't think of when it comes to just a, a collective bargaining agreement. Um just before we do start, Dante, I will just go through a little bit of notes that I've got here. Um, we Please. will not be talking about the team investment stuff that came out. Now, I've, I've put a comment in the run sheet here saying D question mark. So let me know if you do actually want to talk about it for a second. But um, we don't want to talk about the NBA and foreign um, foreign sort of basketball investment, um, the loosening of the drug rules or any, I think it was, it was termed as non-gambling endorsement deals. Um, simply because we're just we're more focused on the basketball side of things. Dante, speak now, forever hold your peace. I'm holding the peace because I think <laughs> the, the marijuana stuff has been de facto, like essentially it's been completely decriminalized in the NBA already. Now it's mm. just official. Mm. And then the other stuff we don't, I mean, we don't care enough, but we also don't know enough. It seems like that's, <laughs> don't say that's that. The just say that's... the first bit. <laughs> No, well, you know, it's true. Like like a lot of the reporting that's come out around it has has been very vague. Uh, and I think there's an expectation that that will get fleshed out in the coming weeks and months. But for now, there's there's probably not really much use in us discussing it. And there's plenty of other things in here that oh. would be very useful for us to discuss, such <laughs> as the, the, the introduction of 
Shawnee, something that I know you have thoughts on, the second tax apron. The second tax apron. Um, uh, yeah, so this is one thing they're bringing in with the new CBA. Obviously, everything we mentioned starts with the 2023-24 season, which you might remember as July 1st. Um, so this they're setting, they've got a new tax line above the current tax line, um, which is set $17.5 million over that number. Uh, and a team that's over that number, teams that are over that number right now, are the Golden State Warriors, the Los Angeles Clippers, and I think the Milwaukee Bucks, but we'll have to see something there. Um, but so every team that's over that second that second number can't use the taxpayer mid-level exception. They can't use cash and trades. Uh, and cash and you know cash is sometimes used just to skid the wheels in a trade. But this is quite big for teams who just want to buy a second round pick. If you're the LA Clippers and you just need warm bodies, or if you're the Milwaukee Bucks and you just need very very cheap contracts that don't count against your cap because for every dollar you're spending, it's a couple of dollars in tax. They can't just go out and buy Sandro Mushmushmafili. They can't just go out. They can't <laughs> no, just pay cash for no, this. <laughs> no, come on, Sandro Sandy M. Sandy M. Uh, Mamu, Mamu. Um, so Mamu they can't use cash. Really. Yeah, good on you. Um, <laughs> they can't. These teams also can't move first round picks that are seven years away. Um, I will note that one through six years does work, but you know you won't get any instances where the where the um, Los Angeles Lakers come out with the old faithful of a twenty nine first round pick. <laughs> um, they can't sign players on the buyout market, which I think isn't the biggest, but the stupidest fucking rule. That's, but we'll get to that. That's the strange one. Yeah. Um, and they can't take any more money back in a trade whatsoever. That is a hard rule. So should we should we start at this taxpayer MLE discussion? So for people who just might need a refresher, every single team, every single year gets access to the mid-level exception, which is is quoted as just a average salary. I think they've actually just changed this in this CBA as well, but it's going to be 9% of teams' caps. Um, and the idea behind that is that the league would essentially give every single team, all 30 teams, they get this mid-level exception, or if they're over the tax, they get the taxpayer mid-level exception, which is about 60% of that number. And, that, and they say, okay, even if you're the most capped-out team, even if you're absolutely hopeless, all 30 teams have access to this tool that lets them upgrade just a slight bit in the offseason. Now, like the best uses of this have been PJ Tucker going to the Rockets just before they got Chris Paul. And it's like, oh, he actually turned out to be, you know, a really, really good role player who just unlocked so many wonderful things for them on offense and defense. But just guys like that who can just come in. Dante DiVincenzo was Golden State's taxpayer mid-level exception this year. Um, and you can just do so much with it. You can also split it up, but it's just from a fan point of view, it says you, you, you go into the off season saying, well, no matter what my team does, I know that we've got this tiny tool to to upgrade something or just push us over the line where maybe we lost in game seven of the finals, but oh, if we just get one more little piece, we'll, we'll be able to win an NBA championship. But this CBA is removing it for the most expensive teams. Dante, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think... <clears throat> The I think maybe I maybe before we get like get into into the nitty gritty of the the taxpayer MLA, can we backtrack a little bit and just talk about the second apron in general? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so right now, the way that you know that it works that everyone will be familiar with is that there's the tax, and once you go into the tax, you're paying extra money on top of the dollars that you're spending in the tax for the team. So 
You can essentially go as high as you want in that, as long as your owner is willing to pay the bill, which is how you see teams like the Lakers of recent years, the Clippers, the Warriors, the Bucks you mentioned, can, you know, have three guys on max slots and then, you know, a whole bunch of other guys and kind of go and, and establish, like, assemble a, an elite team by virtue of being able to pay more than other teams. And this whole kind of introduction of the second apron is designed, I think, to be so punitive as to not not only like hurt the teams that are doing it, but to kind of initiate behavior change. Yeah, that there there's gonna they they want a redistribution in the in the in terms of how player contracts work and how teams construct a roster with those contracts that will stop them from going so far into the tax. Um, And taking away the various tools like the mid-level exception, the use of taking on, um, taking on extra money in trades um, and the buyout stuff is kind of all designed to say that if you use this way that, you know, teams have used to win championships over the last few years, the Warriors, the Lakers have won championships, you know, with this exact strategy, um, you will essentially not be able to do that anymore because a lot of the tools that are at your disposal now as like a tax team are going to be taken away from you. So as a result, I think they're hoping that more teams will just be like, well, fuck, going into the tax means we can get X, Y, and Z players, but we can't get literally anything else and it's just not worth it for us. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously so. Guys like Steve Ballmer, Bill Ballmer, and, and Joe Lacob have said, "I don't really care how much money we spend because we're going to make heaps of money back just in playoff revenue and just for like for Golden State just selling like the most jerseys every single year." And I think like that's that should be encouraged at, at all opportunities because you'll get teams that have just never been into the tax ever. And you, you've got some teams where they've got an owner that you just know will never pay for a team no matter how good they are. And we've talked about it on this podcast. We've talked about it on other podcasts. Another podcast have talked about it without us. It's just so upsetting. And I think the first time we had Lucas Petridis on this pod, all you know, got harking back to twenty twenty as well. Um, I think the first time he came on, he mentioned um, we were just talking about some team that was skimping out and not spending into the tax whatsoever. And then Lucas was like, "Well, what are you saving for? Like you've you've bought a basketball team, like you." You own one of like the biggest toys anyone can possibly own. What are you saving for? Like you've you've got all the money you could want. Um, so I think I think this is really disincentivizing owners who I think should be congratulated for just like putting their money where their mouth is and just saying, hey, I, I empowered this team to to be good and I don't care about the money. And obviously, if you're Steve Barmer and you don't care how much money you're paying whatsoever, it's like, okay, if you just tell him that the tax is just going to get tripled, he's going to be like, okay, well, here's three more times what I was already paying you. But if you say to him, hey, go to your front office, now they can't do X, Y, Z and well, X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D, E, um, all of a sudden he's going to be like, well, this is different because it's no longer just me putting out money. It's my the people who he's employed are not able to do their job to their fullest because they've got an owner who's willing to pay for a really good team. And and Steve Ballmer and the Clippers is one thing because they obviously signed Kawhi and they they traded for Paul George and you know they live in LA and they've just they've they're, they're one of the glitzy markets that just attracted stars and and now they're a title contender. But for the Golden State Warriors, like yes, they signed Kevin Durant, but all their other guys were homegrown talent. Like we, we just happened to draft really good players. 
mm. or just draft players. They turned into really good players. And then just excluding the whole Kevin Durant 2016 stuff, because that was just an absolute, you know, a money jump and a money investment. That's just not going to happen again. When it's, it literally won't happen again because they said they're going to smooth the next um, the next lump of money over the next seven years or 10 years. But um, outside of that, like Kevin Durant's gone, we're still a tax team because we just happened to draft two-time MVP in Steph Curry. We happened to draft one of the best 3-and-D shooting guards and you just know you know that everyone who we drafted, and by doing that, we've just had to keep paying them and paying and paying them, and they're getting older. But obviously, as you know, the older you are, the further away from your rookie deal, the more money you can make. So if you're Drew Laker, you're like, well, what, what has he done wrong? Like, why is he now? Why is he front office with with Bob Myers now sitting there going, oh, okay, cool. So we've got an owner who's only ever empowered me to do everything I ever want to do with this team. He's now got to turn around and say, oh, crap, maybe we should cut legitimate players that make us good and, and help us be who we are so they could get under this line so we can become worse as a basketball team. Whereas if you're a team that's still rising, like let's say the Memphis Grizzlies, they're not there yet because their players are still mostly on rookie contracts and then they're just on their first extension after that, like they're designated rookie extension in the case of John Morant. But as soon as those guys get into their second and their third and their fourth contracts, the Memphis Grizzlies are going to be in the exact same position as Golden State Warriors. And right now, this is just going to hit the Warriors half, you know, on the on the tail end of our dynasty. But if you're Memphis and you've just like, you're growing this team, you're looking at Golden State going, oh, fuck, man, we've got Desmond Bain. We've got Jaron Jackson Jr. This is like, we're going to be coasting for the next 10 years. Now, for the Warriors, it doesn't matter. But if you're Memphis, you're like, oh, okay, well, it's it's time for Desmond Bain's third contract. And you're going to look around and go, oh, but if we do sign him, that's going to put us over that second apron, which is just way too punitive for what we want to do because maybe they've got you know, grander ambitions at bringing in a couple of role players that say they want to sign their version of Andre Iguodala. Funnily enough, Andre Iguodala, who doesn't want to play for Memphis. But let's let's say that happens seven years from now. They're going to enter it and say, "Oh, well, maybe we don't extend the third most important player of our you know of our big three that that we want to win a title with," which is just just wrong for for an owner that should just be saying, uh, "Spend all the money." Like we want to be good at basketball. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I actually disagree with you on a lot of those points because I think for starters, like there will be an adjustment period guaranteed, but the the job of the GMs, like Bob Meyer's job is to like figure out how to work within the team's rules and all of the front officers will figure out how to do that to the best of their ability. Like once this initial period kind of um, adjustment period kind of passes through. But I think... The, the Warriors, for so many reasons, are, are not a team that should be used as an example of yeah. anything, really, because, you know, obviously... How, how often are you going to draft that well and stuff? How often are you going to draft that well? How often are you going to have that once-in-generation opportunity to sign the best player in the league? How often are you going to be... Is all of that going to happen in a big market? But if we're talking about teams where they have really been in that situation over the last... 10 years, 15 years. It's it's the early the early teens, OKC and the Warriors, where they've drafted three to four players who ended up being awesome and developed them into all-stars. Like, that's literally it. So you can't make... Like, yeah, if, if there was a situation where that a team like that was scuppered because of these rules, that would be terrible. But you can't make rules that govern the 99.95% of other, other instances, like, mm. b- because of the aberrations, you know? Um but I also, I mean, I don't look at it the same way as you, I guess, in terms of the, these owners being rewarded or incentivized to like spend 
more because it does create competitive disadvantage, uh, which is something that loses a lot of owners' money, right? Mm. <clears throat> competitive disadvantage loses owners' money because say like, let's just say like Orlando. Um, Orlando are not big spenders. Orlando are like perennial treadmill of mediocrity as an absolute ceiling kind of team. Mm. At least they have been for the last 10 years since um, Dwight Howard left. So they're, I think, a good example. Um, they are not going to spend mm. like the Warriors will. And they're also not in a market that can allow them to spend like the Warriors will because, you know, Joe Lake can afford to spend because he builds the stadium, he moves the team, he's going to print money off of the success of the team. Mm. And the success of the team... Um, predated the investment because when they started succeeding and you know clay and steph became zeitgeisty and the warriors became like you know an irrelevant team to like a super super mega glamour franchise that happened from like on-court investment rather than him investing in the team and then that happened mm-hmm. um and it kind of entrenches um a lack of parity between a team like orlando and a team like um Golden State, which in, in theory, all of the all of the rules that are in place are designed to, to force teams to play by the same rules, but they're just that's not actually having that effect in practice, which is how you can look at a team that's trying to be good. Um, you know, a team that is genuinely trying to be good, like say like a Portland, compare their tax bill with, you know, uh the the Warriors of Equipment, and it's orders of magnitudes higher for these teams that are spending the extra money. Um and I think that in the long term, for the owners of the teams of the small markets, they're like, well, if if there are these teams that are spending so much more than what we want to or what we can, then we're not going to be able to really break into that kind of upper echelon because we're not going to spend. That's just going to be the situation. Like we're not going to have a an $80 million tax bill. It's just not happening. And if that's not happening, we're not going to be able to break into the the upper upper echelon where we realistically have a shot at winning the title. So what are we selling our fans on if we're like not that good? Because Orlando, again, like they're selling their fans on what? Like making it into the seven seed, making it into the six seed. Um, and for for people who understand that the better the team is, the more people are coming to your stadium the more the more people that are buying your merch the more money that you're making having such a competitive disadvantage to begin with means that the orlando owners are not making as much money off their team as the clippers owners are making off of their team and i think a lot of the small market owners like who are you know voting on this legislation as it is with purely financial interests um that's why these kind of punitive measures are um being introduced because it's because we're, what we were saying was a stretching of the league where the difference between the the lowest and the highest is kind of as big as it's ever been, both in terms of quality of play, goals, and financial outlay. Mm. Um, and I think it benefits the owners in particular of the smaller and mid-level franchises to compress that so that there is, and maybe they're looking at the NFL model where there is more parity on the face of things where if you're a bad team in the NFL, uh, which obviously the NBA like wants to model itself off of in a lot of ways, 
if you're a bad team in the NFL, it is feasible that within two years you could be really, really good. And yeah. that doesn't necessarily just have to happen with like you draft KD and Westbrook and all of a sudden you're in the finals. Like there's a pathway for that to happen where you make a few smart moves, you draft a couple of good players and then bam, all of a sudden you're one of the six best teams in the league. Mm. Um, and and that helps them, that helps owners make money. If you go from being Orlando to being 55 win Orlando because all of a sudden not everyone else is spending heaps more money than you. All of a sudden you've got, you know, like a, a conference final being played in your building and the, um, you know, the owners yeah. are happy. So, yeah. Look, I, I think I completely get what you're saying, but I just think you're answering part of your own question in your answer because you're saying, oh, you know, look at look at Orlando. They'll they'll never get that big. They'll and they'll never be able to sell the same sort of jerseys and ticket sales as that. But like the Golden State Warriors were just like that. We we weren't always one of the the highest grossing teams or sports teams just in general. I think it was like us and the Dallas Cowboys who were one and two um in terms of like most valuable American franchises. What what led us to doing that was being driven by the basketball product. It's not like we drafted Harrison Barnes and everyone's like, oh fuck, better get Warriors tickets. We yeah. started this dynasty and we started this dynasty, which maybe, maybe like, I don't know whether it's, it's hindsight that it's 2020 is the right thing to say, but like within the constraints that we had, we had being the last CBA, we built a dynasty and then all of a sudden we're, you know, number two in America and the, the most valuable sports franchises worth more than, um, New York were worth more than the the Lakers and stuff, but that that simply wasn't always the case, and it was driven by basketball. So now it's yeah, like, but I but I want to I want to push back on that though because that it was driven by basketball, but that dynasty was assembled in vastly different financial circumstances than what it is now, where it was more compressed back then, and it was easier for a team to go from like okay to good to great like the Warriors did because it wasn't just like a one season they were really incredible and they're in the finals it was like a two three year kind of process um when everyone <clears throat> when everyone is spending closer together that's easier to do because you can kind of just like hit on a couple of guys move one guy from the deep bench into the starting lineup and he, he turns out to be really good and sign like two mid-level free agents and all of a sudden you're just like, whoa, you're the Golden State Warriors. Mm. But like Orlando can't really do that. Teams in the West can't really do that because if you look at the teams at the top who are paying so much money, um, you know, my Phoenix Suns included, like the, the financial outlay. And yes, financial outlay doesn't always equate success but more often than not the teams that are spending so much money are the good teams so, so you, you would you would want your owner to spend as much money as possible given that that um, function you just put up well i would want my owner to spend as much money as possible if i was being sectarian and looking at it for my own team but i'm looking at this through the perspective of like how did these how did this deal get done and i think mm. like the teams that are the owners that are, like I said, like the the, the small and mid-level markets the, the, or the, the low and mid-level quality teams right now face a harder task to get into where they want to be without spending a bajillion dollars than they did five or ten years ago, yeah. which is when the yeah. Warriors dynasty was 
you know, established. I think what we've seen since 2016, when the the money has just become so absurd, is that there's been a, a stretching out, like I said before, of of the the, the differences. And I yeah. think it's better for for the owners, for competitive balance, for the league macro ecosystem, which is how this gets like voted on essentially. Yeah. Um. That yeah. there are that there there is that compression and that teams you know, kind of can't, um, yeah, can't like just, just leverage one guy having heaps more money than the other guy, which is, which is what it is at, yeah. at a certain point. Like the, you know, the, um, the, the GMs and the, the front office machinations and yada, yada, like, all right, good. You've got a smart GM who understands how he can use this tool or that tool, whatever. But Steve Ballmer is paying 10 million times more, more money than what Michael Jordan is paying. And that yeah. is going to open up possibilities that just are going to be not there for the rest of the league. But and like, but using using that thought process, if you're an Indiana Pacers fan right now, like Alessio was for a solid month there, um, yeah, hot minute. If you're um, if you're like, you've got Herb Simon who is absolutely allergic to spending money on the Pacers, even when they were making like multiple Eastern Conference Finals runs. And if you're a fan, you're sitting there, you know, you're you're on Twitter, you're saying hashtag Glazers out, but Simon out and stuff. You just want like a regime change. You just want people in there. Um, and you're looking at this new CBA, and you're looking at the board of governors meeting that was just had with the with the players' association. They're essentially like you know stroking his hair, saying, "Oh, poor little, poor little billionaire or millionaire." Like, oh, you know, you, you just you just can't catch a break here. We made it a little bit easier for you to win, despite not investing as much. And I, I understand all your arguments in terms of like Steve Barmer's just just got more money and just going to keep spending more money because he's in LA. But if you're a fan of one of these, let's call them poorer teams for want of a better word, you're just <laughs> you're you're just getting told like these guys are just getting validated for not spending money. And and it's you, I'm not saying you have to spend like you know twice as much for a team as as the Clippers do and the Warriors do, but like these these guys who are just absolutely allergic to spending money on their teams like the Cronkies in Denver um there it looks like they finally will next season or, or maybe by the end of this season but the Cronkies in Denver were just like never never ever dipping into the tax and now they can just turn around and go oh see it actually turned out to be right because now we're punishing the expensive teams so but I don't you- think that it's gonna be like I don't think that it's gonna be like that because within the new confines of of this CBA, the teams that spend more money are going to do better. And the teams that are incentivized to spend more money are going to do better. It just means that spending more money than your competition is spending like less money total, if that makes sense. Yeah. That, you know, Herb Simon is still not going to want to spend money on the paces and they're probably still not going to gain any advantage through that. And Steve Ballmer is going to want to spend as much money as he can on the Clippers, and they will gain an advantage through that. It just means that the advantage goes from like being a you know a huge cavernous gap to being a smaller gap. Yeah, and um, that for the the money making kind of process for the people that are voting on this, I think is something that's going to be appealing. And one thing that I just to kind of change tack a little bit one thing that i wonder about this is after this adjustment period is kind of like all sort like all people have uh 
figured out the lay of the new land mm. you mentioned memphis as an example before like we drafted jar we drafted triple j who you know might be uh, an all-star defensive player of the year and all defensive pick um gonna command a lot of money probably on his next contract and we've got desmond bain who's like your quintessential third banana we geez we'd love to keep him yeah i i wonder if instead of there being situations where teams are gonna cut or have to trade those players because all of a sudden, you know, like he's saying like, I'm worth this much and you can't afford to pay me this much. Is there going to be a slight suppression of player values as compared to the cap? Yeah. Which um, is obviously going against 50% of the negotiating team in the room, but no, yeah, the, the but, players association, but wait, to, to jump back on that, like, yeah, maybe Desmond Bain gets squeezed a little bit and maybe Desmond Bain looks around and goes, oh, well, because Memphis can pay me more money, Maybe I just have to go with my market value, which was what, like, you know, 20, 20% less than what he could have done with the Memphis Grizzlies. But on the other side of things, if you're the Clippers or if you're the Warriors, Dan Feldman pointed, pointed this out yesterday, like you can't take any money back in a trade whatsoever. So if you're over this second apron and you're not, able, you're not able to do anything, but you know that there's, you know, you're not able to get anyone in the buyout market, which I think you and I scoffed at a little bit, and all that use your taxpayer mid-level exception. Well, when Marcus Morris is a free agent, instead of just like what well, he might be closer to like a minimum level player right now, why don't you just give him $15 million? So now you're just like, okay, well, we want to bring in like Victor Oladipo who's making $10 million or whatever it is. Well, it's like, cool. We just paid Marcus Morris fuck tons of money. We could just give him like a four-year, $60 million, fully non-guaranteed. And then we'll just like, guarantee him each day each day each day which you know might not be as secure for the player when you just don't know what your contract is but it's like he's much he'd much rather get 60 million unguaranteed than 2.3 guaranteed so then then um the clippers can just say okay well we've got this guy getting 15 million dollars a year completely non-guaranteed if we need to make a move for anyone like marcus morris is sitting at the end of our bench just like making a stink We'll just quickly just okay. Here's our dude who's getting paid way too much money. Um, give a give us Victor Oladipo, take him in, and then that other team just takes Marcus Morris and just completely un like unguarantees his money, and all of a sudden he's a free agent. Um, so Dan Feldman was saying there might be like a little bit of a little bit of a you know ulterior um, motives here for these teams when they're just trying to sign these guys just to get a body in here. If you are over the second apron, especially this off season, because it's like, it's much harder for teams to duck under it now. Like Memphis will be able to look at this for three years and, and judge whether they want to do it or not. But like, if you're the Warriors or the Clippers or the Bucks, you might just see some guy get a random like F off balloon payment and then just be used as a bargaining chip, which like you just said, with if a player is going to get squeezed and a player loses money, well, these players are just going to get uncertain futures, might not play a second with their current team until they're just used as a lame duck in a trade. Well, yeah, I think that would only happen with players who are kind of like less valuable, right? Like you couldn't afford to do that with someone who was going to be like a, a real rotation player for you. You would probably not. Yeah, Just but but those players ex- those players exist. Yeah, they do, they do. But I, yeah, I I think that that particular element of it is either going to need to be enforced with like more specific uh rules around it, or it's just going to be something that is going to invite shenanigans. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of if it if it is something that does invite shenanigans, like that's the sign that it's not a great rule because teams are like trying their absolute best to circumnavigate it um to sorry circumvent it we're not fucking going around the globe here 
Um, if Tanner's dying, they're absolute. Best. I was on Just mute, saying. but let the record show. I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get the Magellan, the Magellan <laughs> content in there. Um, that on the minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, if yeah, if teams are really trying to to circumvent uh element elements of this by doing things that are like blatantly ridiculous and just wouldn't happen in you know in in the current landscape then i I think it's a sign that it's a heavy-handed way to kind of approach um what the league clearly views as problems that they want to solve and i think it's the same like on the on the buyout market as well which you know i i definitely did join you in scoffing at that because i think it's silly but i wonder if so teams that are over the second apron won't be able to sign players in the buyout market and one way of looking at it is saying like oh well you know reggie jackson or fucking you know john wall or whoever it is that gets bought out you know two-thirds of the way through the season is mm-hmm. now going to have to go and, and sign for like a, a shit team that's tanking or a team that's fighting for the nine seed rather than like being an an impact ad for a team that's in the thick of the playoff race. I, I like to yeah. use the example of Marvin Williams. Like think about what Marvin Williams would do in his final yeah. season. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. When 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 he signed with the Bucks, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um the the other consequence of this is that teams just won't buy players out. Because why would the player want to get bought out from Orlando, so what? So he can go and sign in Houston. Yeah, true. So he'll just keep his two million dollars in his pocket, and then yeah. Well, what's yeah. the what's the point? Like, if you if you're you're the player saying I can't go and get a ring, I can't go and move to a big market, I can't go and do this that. Yeah. Like, why would I? You know, you know, in a in a lot of these cases, like if a player, uh, you know, say a player on like a big contract is getting bought out, like a Blake Griffin kind of player, um. The they're sending back, they're giving back how much money in that? Yeah. Like they're earning 50 million, 50 million in that season or 40 million, and they're probably giving back like eight to 10 million of that. And then they're going and signing for two million. So they're, they're losing money on the move. And the whole point of the move is that you're in a big market or you're going for a ring or playoffs or whatever. And if those motivations are now gone, like you just wouldn't like put yourself in a position to lose any money. And if the team wants to send you away, like the Rockets have done what feels like a million <laughs> times with John yeah. Wall, if the team wants to send you away, well, whatever, then the team sends you away and you just cash the check. But yeah. the team probably wouldn't wouldn't send you away knowing now that there's absolutely no way that they can just like dump you or yeah. get rid of you. But, but because of that, that that bad team with a, a player who might go sign with like, you know, it seems like the Brooklyn Nets signs every buyout guy. That bad player is now taking up a roster spot for, you know, let's say like Bryce McGowan's to come in and just play 20 games down the end of the season. Cause that's still a roster spot occupied unless they just want to eat the money, which I think is a very, very minor detail. It is a minor detail, but it's all, it's also this, this whole approach to it, I think is another thing that, that I think they must be hoping that there's going to be one to two years where teams are figuring out what the fuck is going on. And then that is reflected in behavior change, not only with there being like a lack of buyouts occurring, but with the contracts that teams are signing. Are you going to think longer and harder about signing so and so and so and so to these deals if you think that there's a chance that they're going to be a buyout candidate in year three? Or if, you know, are they really going to be worth 
45 million in the final you know two years of their deal yeah Um, Yeah, those are the sorts of things that yeah well if you actually have to pay it and there's no like out for you where you can free up the roster spot and essentially just like Pontius pilot it happy Easter wash your hands and walk away um you're signing so-and-so to a $30 million a year deal for four years. And you think there's a chance that on the back end of that, he's not going to be worth 30 million. Well, then maybe you don't sign him or maybe yeah. you sign him for 20 million because you're saying we have to project this into the back end of the contract. Cause this, this guy is probably going to be on the team because our tools to jettison him have been taken away, yeah. which is not necessarily, like that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Next piece of news is that the NBA has brought in um, a games played limit for the All NBA Single Player Awards. Um, what this, clown thought this up? <laughs> this sixty-five comes with quote some conditions, which I think the can the only condition that has come out so far, coming from Adrian Wojnarowski, is that a player term must have played at least twenty minutes in those games played for it to count. After today's what fourteen game extravaganza, Giannis has played sixty-three, Embiid sixty-five, and Jokic sixty-seven. Um, so to all you people saying Giannis should be the MVP, you are clearly wrong. <laughs> um, now this starts next season. What are your thoughts on a sixty-five games played limit? Stupid. Yeah, I mean, no one's no one's voting for someone with fifty games, are they? No, and and I like I think you know you listen to, you know, and we we got in early on our awards this season. So uh, uh, episode one one eighty nine, jump back in there if you want to listen to our thoughts on the MVP race and other races. But you listen to any fucking NBA awards show, yeah. Someone saying, oh, I don't know, like if so-and-so has played 60 games and so-and-so has played 70 games, like if there's a tiebreaker, I'm giving it to the one with the more games played. Like people already also, have that. Yeah, no one, no one's giving it to the guy with the lower played games as well. It's not like you had to bring in this. Yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. And like, it's only in extreme cases where someone who didn't play that many games, like wins an award, like we'd, we'd be talking about like, Rookie rookie of the year, Kyrie Irving, where he he you know he missed half the season and um you know like no one's winning MVP playing half the season, no one's winning defensive player of the year playing half the season. If they were, Draymond Green would have won it last year. Yeah. Um or two years ago, whenever it was that he he, you know, he was the the clear number one, you know, candidate and then got hurt. Um and yeah, I think that this was already something that was that was been um thought of in the context of awards and it's not about awards because the nba doesn't care which player wins mvp it's about making the best players play because you know Giannis now can't sit out games because he's like oh i gotta get to 65 so he's gonna play as much as he possibly can but it it feels like a heavy-handed way to approach players resting and this whole 20 minutes thing i i i had missed <laughs> that that was that must have been a late edition yeah um, that's come out i hadn't seen that what what about someone who plays like the first 16 minutes of a game in december and then like genuinely hurts themselves and leaves the game all of a sudden that doesn't count as a game played yeah like <laughs> if, if they're like how how on earth is that going to work if they've registered points and minutes in their um 
in the game and that yeah. doesn't come up that comes up on nba.com that you can go and look at their game log and say oh Devin Booker had 14 points and three assists before leaving after 16 minutes yeah. but that doesn't count as a game that's accessible for MVP purposes yet it does count towards his season statistics yeah. which are assessed in the MVP voting like yeah. what the fuck the the disconnect here is just absolutely insane well, what if basketball basketball reference just brings in like a MVP games um yeah MVP like player, player awards game. games um yeah and it's just like 0. 0.2 points less or whatever probably more um yeah a little bit silly uh in the Woj report he said that the um, the all, all people in the discussion expect this to be like ceremonial and not have any impact. It's like, cool, well, don't do it. You've just wasted five minutes of our beautiful listeners' time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, uh, it, it, it is a it is a pretty crazy like way to approach it, and and you know, like, um, um, yeah, I think well, it was on on, dunk, on dunked on. They did, um. A little bit of a like a rundown just for as an example of like who would have been the players that would have made the all NBA third team last year. Yeah. If um you know, if the games played, 65 games played was observed for everyone, and it was like Jalen Brown and Desmond Bain were your like third team forwards. It's like obviously that's not great. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, another thing in this is that the NBA is looking to add an in-season tournament, which could start as soon as 2023-24. Um, this tournament would just select games throughout the regular season uh, and choose them to be pool play games. Um, and then teams would, the final eight teams would advance to a single elimination tournament. And then the final four would be played in a neutral stadium. Um, it says Las Vegas all over it, even though it's not locked in, but it would probably be Las Vegas. Um, and then all those games would still be part of that team's regular season um, with the absolute grand final for the tournament being the team's 83rd regular season game because if you're worried about injuries in an 82-game season and wanted to limit it, um, just see what we can do in 83 games. Um, I can see also some strange sort of... Um, some strange machinations coming out of it where it's like, oh, okay, so we're, we've advanced to the final four and the Warriors are going to play the Kings. Cool. Okay, well, let's take their next regular season matchup, which would have been on some random day, you know, two months from now. And let's quickly bring it back here so they can play that out in this final four tournament. Um, well, that's the, the, the schedule has been set out in a way so it's just like the 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 best most efficient way possible for all these teams to move around and, and play their games so now this is just gonna give everyone just to get a, a, well, at least four teams a game in flux where they just don't know what's going to happen and that could really interrupt their rest schedules or maybe they have to get on a plane when they didn't think they were going to get on a plane um but outside of that what are your thoughts on an actual in-season tournament happening in the nba well i've been in favor of it um the whole time that it's been on, on the table just because it's cool. Yeah. Like yeah. it's an extra cool thing. Um, and I think there's a um, particularly American way of like looking at um, sports in the macro sense, which is like championship or bust. And you don't have that in other areas of the world. Like we don't have that here with the footy. We don't have that in Europe with soccer. Um, there's There's real like room for 
your team was outside the top eight last season and then you had a big run, a big season and you finished fourth and you, you lost in the first, you know, you, you or you finished fifth and you lost in the first round of finals and you're out. But like you're, you're, you're thrilled as a fan with that season because you're, um, you see all of the improvement and you got so much out of the season, even though it didn't end up in a, um, yeah, a championship. But I think American, American fans, like be it, because they themselves have engendered that uh, situation culturally or not, they kind of miss out on on it. They kind of miss out on that feeling of like being a, a fan of a Premier League team and you're eighth and you're like, oh, this is kind of a bit of a disappointing season. We were really hoping that we could push for top four. But hey, we're in the semifinals of the FA Cup. Like that's fucking awesome. We get to yeah. go to London and go and watch our team play at Wembley and try and like try and watch our team lift something, which for a team like Sacramento that has, congratulations, just made the playoffs for the first time in 21 years. Wouldn't it have been awesome if you were a Kings fan along the way that you got to like lift something and you <laughs> you got to see your players like win five consecutive games and then at the end of that, like, you know, after a, a, a grounded out, grinded out win against the Golden State Warriors when they weren't expected to in the final, they get to like lift the cup. Like, yeah. uh, I don't know. It's just, the, sports isn't about like the only thing that, you know, that, that truly matters is like winning it all. There's so much gray area for both fans and teams to inhabit. And I think mm. this gives another avenue to maybe achieve that. Although it has to be said you've outlined the logistical problems that it will potentially pose. And it's a really interesting um, way to, I think, incentivize trying is that they'll make the pool play just regular season games so that you're yeah. not playing extra games and you can just say, oh, well, we want to win this because we want to win every regular season game. I mean, like the, um, the the way they're doing it with the pool play in the regular season, that makes more sense than it would be to like take all these teams away and play 10 more games just by themselves. That's, that's definitely the best way to do it. Um, so I think like, yeah, what you're going to say is just how it could really muck around with the schedule and it's really hard to quantify that, but I think it's the best outcome. Is that, is that agreed? Yeah, because I, well, it's not the best outcome. I think like in a platonic, like pure ideal sense of how the tournament would go, but I think there'd be like a revolt if they were like, everyone's playing an extra six games and we're taking you away to some location and you're all having like a round robin thing. They'd be like, yeah. cool, well, we're playing the reserves for that yeah, one. Yeah, here's so, fucking Leicester Cronones. Yeah, you can have you can have that one. So it still remains to be seen whether the teams will actually take it seriously. But I think the absolute best outcome for this is that like the teams that do kind of make it into the, you know, the, the quarters or the semis or the final, whatever it ends up being. Yeah. Those teams actually like fuck yeah, because the players are going to get paid as well. The players are going to get money from for winning it. Yeah. On top of whatever they get from their contract. So hopefully the players are like, fuck yeah, let's go and get the extra milli. Like, let's play really hard. And then it becomes something that does have a little bit of like prestige attached to it. That's like, yeah. oh, like you can like you can hang the banner. Like everyone knows it's not winning a championship. Everyone knows you'd rather win a championship. But, but you're everyone doing knows something. you're not. But it's something you can be happy with and proud of. And, like, it's a, a, a moment that the fan and the team can, like, both be like, oh, like, we accomplished something and they got fulfillment out of it, which is what sport is all about. Yeah, and it, it and they said that it's going to – they will somehow find a way to make the winners um, 
going to reward that goes towards the regular season standings. I think the only thing I could think of off the top of my head is like a golden card that lets you win every tiebreaker ever. Um, and like that works with both playoff seedings and coin flips in the lottery. You know, if you're tied for like the 17th pick um, because you won the regular season tournament, you just automatically get like the, you know, the the more favorable one there as well as with playoff matchups. Um, but I can't see too many other, you know, regular season ramifications there. Should we move on to the next one? Yeah. Um, they are going to increase the upper limit on uh, in-contract extensions from 120% to 140%. Uh, notable guys who this would have affected if this had come into come into effect at least two years ago would be Yaka Pirtle and DeJounte Murray, um, poor San Antonio Spurs. But um, DeJounte <laughs> Murray, whose contract was about to expire, uh, he like the, the Spurs could have said, hey, we're giving you absolutely everything we could. Um, but they could only offer 120% of what their previous contract was. Um, for Yaka Pirtle, who was on around 8.7 or maybe 8.3, um, his starting salary for his next contract would have been 10.5 million, and DeJounte was around about 14. That would have been 100, uh, sorry, 18.5. So that's just like a more, just a nicer jumping spot to to start off with um, to reward these players. And this obviously factors in giving them the max raises that they could being um, re-signing your own free agent. But if they were able to win Defensive Player of the Year or make an All-NBA team, they can obviously, they would be eligible for those, what, 8% raises. Um, But this is coming into effect on July 1st. Um, affects Jalen Brown, who next off season, sorry, next season is owed $30.7 million. And if the rule didn't exist, his new salary that they, the Boston Celtics would be able to extend him uh, would be 36.84. That would be the starting salary. And now they're able to offer him something in the range of 42.98, which is, you know, much more in line with what Jalen Brown's production is and just gives gives current teams, which is, I feel like what the Supermax was for, let alone like this extension rule, but just giving current teams the opportunity to re-sign their own players because, you know, you should be rewarded for finding a guy who's good at basketball um, and you shouldn't have this just completely random uh, random limit on the extension. And even on that, I, I think I think this is a step in the right direction, but I think it should just be not tied to their previous salary whatsoever because <clears throat> if, you're, if you're like a breakout player, you don't want to be tied to that minimum contract that you were playing on last season. And that just makes it, if you want to lock up your money and, and do best by the team and, and maybe from a player point of view, just sign, sign with this team before they can even think about going to free agency and maybe seeing what's out there on the market. Um, it's just in everyone's best interest just to have this not tied to their previous salary, but it's looking like we're going to have to wait seven years for that to happen. Well, I think the, 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 the reason why they wouldn't want it to be tied to well, they sorry. Where well, they would want it to be tied to the salary is that if it wasn't tied to the salary, like a lot of players would just extend early. Yeah. Um, which means there's less players hitting free agency, which in general means that there's less players getting more money because players are going to get more money as a general rule if they hit free agency because there's going to be more than one team offering them something. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So even though this improves it for players, you know, like these guys who can get paid more in line with what their market value is. If you went too far the other way and you removed that completely, which I think, you know, in a vacuum would be, it would be better if if it wasn't tied to your previous contract because once you signed it, it's kind of irrelevant. Um, you sort of get stuck on a track. It's like you're getting on a train from 
your fifth year all the way up until like your 15th. Well, yeah, exactly. If you're a, if you're a second round pick, you know, yeah. you can't get extended for because you you were you were picked just, at Yeah, you just at, didn't at play a, for Duke. You picked at a low salary slot and now you couldn't now you couldn't extend. Like that kind of sucks. I guess the the other thing to consider as well, and this only works in like kumbaya situations where everyone's happy and the player like wants to resign and the team wants to resign. But this just applies to extension. So they can like get to free yeah. agency and resign, whether yeah. that's restricted for players on rookie contracts or not. Um, they could just kind of say like, hey, you know, hey, Jalen Brown, we can't offer you like, we can't offer you 45. We think you're worth 45. If you just wait until free agency, we'll just give you 45. Yeah. And Mine can say, yeah, that's good. I want to come back. I'm going to do that. Now, obviously, there's margin for error there because Jalen Brown could decide that he doesn't want to come back or that he, you know, this happens or you say that and then the relationship sours and yada, yada. There's not as much security. But in a healthy, happy situation, there are ways to get around the fact that, you know, you can't do that. But I mean, even like 140% is not very much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Incredible. especially if you're, if you're earning, like a, a bad player who's about to sign a really good contract. Well, even if you're a good player and you were earning ten million, and then you what you 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 break out and you're an all star, and now they can offer you fourteen million. Yeah. Well, I'm actually worth twenty five. Yeah. So why why would I sign? And then the other thing as well is that you know with these guys who are kind of like in between players, um, you end up seeing these players like get given the max because it's like well you have kind of hit the you, you had one awesome season and you you've kind of hit the criteria for what a max player could be but we don't think necessarily that you're worth the full whole max but we can either give you the whole max or 140 percent of your previous contract which is in some cases, going to be like a $15 million difference. You're kind of mm. like, well, what am I going to do? I want to keep you. So I'm going to pay you the max, which is going to be $10 million more than what I think you're worth. But I have to do that or risk losing you. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, it, it's, it's, it helps in fringe, in fringe cases, but at least there's a little bit more cases. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it'll definitely help. Like it's definitely better. It's just not as good as it could be but i think the players union probably wanted to preserve the players ability to get to free agency and like make more money and have a bit more agency in choosing their destination knowing that they could always just re-sign with that team if they wanted it's just nice for the player to have the option yeah yeah um all right let's move on to the next one which is that they are eliminating the restrictions on the number of supermax contracts allowed on the roster um this i actually didn't know was a rule uh i think this was just there for um, maybe so you don't get Demarcus Cousins and um, Anthony Davis on the same roster. But um, the the case that they point to here is that under the old rules, Cleveland wouldn't be able to give Evan Mobley a supermax because you're allowed to have one supermax extension that you signed and one that you traded for. Um, so you know, obviously they've already got Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, so they actually wouldn't be able to give Mobley the max if he's if you know if if they want to give it to him when he hits free agency. 
Um, so this has eliminated all the restrictions whatsoever. Um, and I don't think this has really gotten in the way of a super team anyway. I think apart from that, you know, there was those Kevin Durant talks where it was like Kevin Durant actually or Kyrie Irving can't go to X, Y, and Z team because you can't actually accept like a traded player. That was the first time I think I'd heard of the rule, but good that it's yeah. uh, definitely gone. Simmons, Simmons and KD and Kyrie, that whole situation. That's um, the one. Yeah, so and so couldn't get traded to Miami because Bam was there. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that, Simmons, that was Simmons. the first time that I'd heard that. Yeah, super max player. How about that? Um, next one is that if there is an improved look, they're wording it as improved leverage for restricted free agents. Um, the time to match has gone down from forty-eight hours to twenty-four hours, which. You know, if they were still using like letters to mail it across, that's that's brilliant. But you know, obviously, you can just call someone. Um, and there will be a ten percent increase in qualifying offers across the board. Uh, I assume this is just just in general, just like keeping up with the with the cap going up. Uh, I think that's very. Yeah. You got any further comments on that one? No, well, I mean, I mean, it, it's just a matter of time before the 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 match time kind of gets decreased further because it used to be three days and then they yeah. changed it to two days and now it's one day. Um, What's too small, an hour? There are genuinely cases in which like the offer that someone submitted would mean that your front office had to talk it over. Like it yeah. wouldn't just be that you had the numbers like saying, oh, like you've given our guy a 15 million a year offer like yes or no they might say like it's a 17 and you would really have to think about it but you probably wouldn't need 24 hours so maybe yeah. like six hours yeah i'd love to be in a situation where it's like oh okay you know you've got 45 minutes to match and then there's just like a camera looking at the front office and like fuck fuck didn't know i was gonna get that high but you probably don't <laughs> want that um next one is that teams will get an additional two-way roster spot cool <laughs> Cool. Um, no changes to the two-way contract, but yep, there it is. Uh, and non-max rookie scale extensions are allowed to be five years. Um, I think we can call this the Marcus Smart rule because Marcus Smart, just a role player, signed a, a role player contract, but you know wanted to be in Boston for as long as possible. He could only sign a four-year contract. Um, this this is one that like I this didn't even cross my mind, but I actually really really like it. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's good to have the option, right? Yeah, I mean, why why should you only the max players be allowed to sign for five years? And it's not like yeah. you, it's not seven or eight like it used to be in the well. In and the it's not like days. it's not like the max contracts like where you know the five year max contracts work any better because how many max players are there? Yeah, where they finish their contract, they signed them to a three year contract instead of a five year. Yeah. Um, and as we mentioned briefly before, but the this is in the CBA that the new TV money will be smooth, not dumped like it was in 2016. So if you thought we couldn't have any more Warriors situations with the with the second apron, we definitely can't have another Warriors situation like Kevin Durant. <laughs> yeah, well, that's this is this is good. This is a good way to do it. Um, yeah, because um, yeah. I think that is everything in the CBA. Obviously, we didn't talk about some things that we literally don't want to talk about it. Um, we will get to some of the bigger news in next week's episode as we just enter the playoffs or just enter the play-in. But um, yeah, fucking interesting time to be a basketball fan, like always. Yeah, great time to be a basketball fan, getting all of this dumped on us right before the play-in and then the play-offs, mm. um, the, the superior of the two plays. But we're... We're four games away from playoff basketball or playing yeah, basketball. And Giannis is two games away from um, all NBA eligibility. <laughs> Wouldn't. Like, what if, if he just sprains his ankle? That's fucked. 
Yeah, seriously. If if you have a hamstring injury and that keeps you out for fifteen games, and then you sprain your ankle with four games left in the season, you're out. Yeah, and you can't do a Drew Holiday where you check in, take a foul, and then walk straight out to get your bonus. Yeah, um, or you or you you you're injured halfway through the season and you end up just playing 64 games and you just can't get there. And it's like, well, you did average 34, 10, and 7, but <laughs> sorry. Sorry, it's just not good enough. Um, Desmond Bain is now taking your spot on the All-NBA team. Sucker. Yeah, they should make it just to really rub it into the negotiators. They should make it so that when someone does get replaced, they don't get replaced in the back ends and everyone moves up. They get replaced in the first team. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Dante I'll speak to you next week uh, and have a good night hey. we were over the moon when we first heard that the NBA was going to be televised on Australian free to air TV in the 2019-20 season it didn't exactly go swimmingly with the nasty cough halting the season and games getting cancelled left, right and centre, but it was a huge step and an exciting one for basketball fans all across the country. Better yet, it wasn't a commercial channel cashing in on some basketball nerds like us. It was SBS, one of our public broadcasters. Unfortunately, the NBA wasn't the only thing SBS was pushing last season. They also ran advertisements from Sportsbet, Ladbroke, Bet365, BetEasy and Neds, some of the biggest sports betting companies in Australia. In a one step forwards, two steps backwards move, SBS has dropped the ball here. As a public broadcaster, SBS plays a key role in providing relevant, culturally appropriate health information to local communities. The last thing SBS should be doing is offering a platform for gambling companies during the most financially unstable time in recent memory. This past year, men aged 18 to 24 made up 79% of new gambling account holders with increased median spending and frequency of bets. This is the last thing we should be spending our money on given the financial uncertainty that comes with the pandemic. During COVID lockdowns, wagering companies spent more money on advertising and incentives to gamble, and it worked. SBS needs to hear from viewers that gambling ad revenue isn't worth the harm it causes. Call on the SBS chair, George Savitas, to put community health ahead of gambling revenue by signing the petition at www.endgamblingads.org.au forward slash get gambling off SBS with hyphens in between.